Welcome to the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Reminger Co. LPA is a full-service law firm with over 150 lawyers spread across 14 offices and serving states throughout the Midwest. My name is Zach Pyers, and I'm a partner in Reminger's Columbus, Ohio office. And I'm Kenton Steele, an associate in Reminger's Columbus office. This podcast on emerging technologies will examine how changes in technology and business models affect our daily lives and how the law is adapting to respond to these changes. Welcome back to the second installment of our discussion with Michael Urban of Rimkiss Consulting Group discussing autonomous vehicles and their impacts today as well as uh, the future and their use in society. When it comes to the work that you do on any given day, how are the autonomous vehicles kind of changing the way you currently work and, and what you currently do? Well, in, in accident reconstruction, nearly every vehicle on the road nowadays has uh, some form of what's called an event data recorder, um, which is usually like the airbag control mo- module. So when you have a collision, um, we can actually download these vehicles and these modules and get uh, information on the vehicle speed, its steering, brake application, and delta V, the, the change of speed of the collision, and a host of other information related to the collision, sometimes tire pressures, things of that nature. With the advanced systems, these systems now have uh, the ability to record some additional information, such as camera uh, images, target recognition, and of that sort. So initially, these systems didn't talk to each other. You're um, your advanced cruise control did not talk to your airbag control module. They didn't share information. Um, but what we're actually starting to see now is we are starting to see event data recorders that actually have uh, not only placeholders for that advanced uh, driving system, but it also has uh, filled in inf- information for it. So we, we now can see that um, an airbag or an AEB system, automatic emergency braking system, was now triggered because it picked up a, a target in front of it and started to brake. And before this, we really had no idea if we're looking at a an EDR, uh, event data recorder, and it says the vehicle started, you know, was doing 50 miles an hour and started to brake at three seconds before the accident. We had no idea if that was the vehicle doing the braking or somebody was actually putting their foot on the brake. So now that we have this integration between the two systems, um, we out, we now have a little bit more information as to, okay, was it the driver paying attention? Was he awake? Was, what was he doing? Because his vehicle was doing X, Y, and Z. Um, and we actually not, are now getting more information from other systems where we can actually get some of these camera images uh, prior to an impact, which is uh, uh, great from an accident reconstructionist point of view, where you actually get to see the uh, the offending vehicle or you know the the vehicle coming into the crosshairs uh, in front of this vehicle that's about to hit it. You know, it's kind of crazy to think of because I know that I mean I've always colloquially like called these things the black boxes. I know that's not the technical term, um, but I always think of like when when I've referred to these things previously in the accident reconstruction situations, um, you know, that's what we called them. And I've seen some of the data printouts, you know, from years ago on base model uh, vehicles where you would see kind of the preliminary data or the basic data, I should say, that you've talked about, Um, you know, 
the way the speed changes and what the time of the impact and these sort of things, whether somebody's foot was on the accelerator or foot was on the brake. But it's crazy to me now that we, as we talk about integrating these systems that now you may have actual photographs. It's almost like having a dash cam of some of this. And I, I, I know um, that cars aren't just, some cars are no longer just outfitted with a single rear backup camera. Now some of these vehicles are, are outfitted with multiple cameras shooting multiple angles, um, you know, in, in a variety of ways. And so to have that additional data, I'm sure has to change not only your job as an accident reconstructionist on the situations, but I mean, as you know, if someone like myself who was then working with the accident reconstructionist to review the data, it, it provides a totally different story, both to the defense or the prosecution of a motor vehicle accident case. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I go back to the old adage or the old saying, a picture's worth a thousand words. Um, you know, and I've, I vividly remember a time when I was probably two years out in my career and I had a picture of the damage to the motor vehicles and it was inconsistent with the story told by the other side. And I'm like, that picture saved me. Um, if it wasn't for the picture, and so now I'm thinking about the pictures that you may be seeing in these accident reconstruction situation along with the other information, and it could provide a whole host of, um, of data that would help to support or, um, you know, potentially prosecute uh, kind of one of these claims. Yeah, exactly. The, with, um, you know, if you, without the EDRs even, or these, these images, um, you know, in, in, the, the golden age when I first started doing all this and we didn't have, you know, we only had EDRs on a handful of vehicles. It was basically one, uh, one engineer's opinion versus another. Um, when, it, you know, when you go to trial, then we got the EDRs. So now it's the interpretation of the data. It really narrows the scope of, you know, who can be wrong and who can be right. And now when you have the data and the images working together, um, Ultimately, you would think that, uh, you know, you're getting to the right answer um, of the reconstruction. Yeah, that's it. That's interesting. You have more data, right? I mean, right. and I think that's what you're, I mean, I think that's, as, as you talk kind of about the progression of this through your career, you know, each major progression shows a leap in the amount of data available to you as the engineer, which theoretically, hopefully, you know, gets everyone to the right answer. Now, um, what are some of the issues that you see with the autonomous or the ADAS vehicles now? Um, I think first off, uh, one of the one of the biggest issues is education, uh, and th this kind of comes on. Uh, there, there's two different versions of education with this. First, uh, people tend to think that their Tesla or Super Cruise or level two vehicle of, of any sort. Uh, a lot of people tend to think that that is a an autonomous vehicle, and it is not. Um, I, I actually have a uh, a GM engineer neighbor who once told me that a Super Cruise on a Cadillac was a level four vehicle. Uh, clearly, he was not part of the group working on that vehicle. Mm. But the the argument I thought of was, wow, if he thought of that, the general public is not going to be much more informed uh, in this case. Um, you know, and certainly I, I'm sure we've all seen videos on YouTube or in the paper of uh, somebody sleeping in their Tesla or doing something other than driving when their car's in autopilot. Um, I've even uh, heard of a police department uh, in one of these news reports that made a statement that there are no laws against autonomous vehicles 
So there's nothing they could do again uh, about it. Um, and when I heard that, my job basically dropped because these are not autonomous vehicles. They're level two vehicles that require an attentive driver. And that needs to be sent home with anybody who's buying a vehicle, um, despite, you know, the names of autopilot or whatever, you know, other names come up. These are level two. They need to have a driver behind them. Um, I always kind of think of it as a, uh, to make an analogy of it, um, if you had a toddler that just learned to run and catch a ball, um, they essentially have all the right equipment um, and even some of the skills to be a wide receiver. But you would never put them on a football field and expect them to run it in to, for a touchdown. There's a whole lot of other situations heading their way that is going to end their day very quickly. And that's essentially what you have in a level two vehicle. You have uh, a toddler that knows how to walk and talk and catch a ball, but it can't do it for every circumstance and every situation that's it's going to run into on any given road. Um, so that's why that's why they have to really maintain their what what we refer to as the uh, operational design domain, and that is ensuring that the vehicles are being driven as they're intended to be driven. Um, if you're falling asleep behind the wheel as your Tesla drives you down the road or whatever level two vehicle you have, um, you're not capable of taking over when that vehicle runs out of, you know, hits a poor lane line or some dirt gets put on the lane uh, lane line and now it doesn't know where it's supposed to be. Um, so uh, again, and even uh, beyond that, um, understanding the different, uh, uh, the different technologies that's in your car. There, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's subtle differences between what is a lane keep assist and a center assist and auto steering. Um, and some of them will help you stay in your lane. Other ones, others such as auto steer is designed to keep you in that lane. It is actively steering you. Um, so if you have a lane keep assist and you just drive down the road, let go of the steering wheel and see how it takes you, um, you're gonna find yourself uh, on a curve going into the wall. Um, so that's, I, I think the, the intention of education is, is paramount and the problem, and if you can actually lead to the, um, correct for the education, it'll lead to the perception because perception is that, uh, when people see a Tesla vehicle that crashed into a wall or whatever level two vehicle that gets into an accident, the flags go up and everyone says, well, these aren't ready for being autonomous. They're right. They're not. Um, but usually they what you don't see in the news is the resolution that came after that. In other words, what was what was the propagation of or the cause of that accident and not just the headline that vehicle X caused an accident. So I, I think those are the biggest issues uh, that autonomous vehicles. Now, I know in one of my earlier questions, I kind of pressed you as to when you think we would see the autonomous vehicles coming out in the future. Now, what I want to ask now is kind of a different question is, you know, how do you think that we're going to see these autonomous vehicles kind of enter into the public sector? Um, and, and kind of referencing back to my answer on that one, too, part of that is uh, one they're already there and they're they're being used quite often in shuttles um, for the fully autonomous vehicles. Um, and some of the uh, some of the ones I've seen and uh, read about, um, they're they're allowing people with disabilities to travel with more ease. 
the Mayo Clinic was actually using um, autonomous vehicles for shuttling of uh, COVID tests and supplies uh, back and forth, which is an ideal thing. So that way you don't have a driver that's put into harm's way. And Whippy, Ontario um, had just put in a uh, four mile long uh, shuttle loop um, that's going to be fully autonomous from their train station. So, uh, and again, they're, they're all in 25 mile an hour speed zone. So, um, but uh, additionally, we've got FedEx uh, has just started running autonomous vehicles in Texas. Um, basically, they have a level four vehicle um, with a backup driver, mind you. Um, but they're basically using these vehicles um, to shuttle uh, through known routes and known highways. Um, so we are seeing these more and more. And I think that's where we are going to see them first and foremost. You're going to have it through the uh, the rideshare vehicles, uh, the Ubers and Lyft. We all know they're they're developing, um, you know, and testing on streets right now again with backup drivers, um, as well as shuttle services and delivery services. That's another one. Um, so they're trying to maintain. Uh, that, that's where you're going to get these vehicles. You're going to get them. Uh, more in a uh, commercial uh, situation than uh, you and me going to, you know, your your OEM dealership and picking up a, a vehicle. Right. Thank you for that, Michael. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today on the Reminger Report podcast and technologies and sharing your insight and knowledge into the areas of autonomous vehicles. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you.